Mark chapter 13, 32 to 37. Have you ever experienced an unexpected arrival? Someone showed up, they knocked on your door, and you were not prepared, you weren't ready for their visit? Sarah's just remembering a story that happened to us. <laughs> but I remember as a kid the occasional situation where it would be mid-morning, my mom would still be in her PJs and there'd be a knock on the door. And um, maybe it was the UPS man, maybe it was the Jehovah's Witness, but my mom would say, yikes, I'm not dressed, can you kids get the door? And she'd run for the bedroom, right? And I think Ann and I have probably done that a time or two as well. Sometimes we're not prepared for that knock on the door. It's a favorite scene in movies, right? Some high schoolers are having a huge party for all their friends, and then their parents come home early and unexpectedly. Or a couple are having an affair, getting all romantic together, and one of their spouses, who's supposed to be out of town, unexpectedly comes home. Unexpected arrivals. That's what today's passage is about. In this case, it's Jesus who's arriving unexpectedly. As Matthew puts it in his version of these verses, at an hour when you do not expect him. And in this passage, Jesus is urging us not to find ourselves in the situation of not being ready when he comes. And we need Jesus' warning here, and Jesus gives us three reasons why we need it. And that's first, because his coming will be unexpected. We, we don't know. In fact, nobody knows when he's coming. Verse 32. And the reality is, it's been 2,000 years now that God's people have been waiting. And so it's easy to look at that and to conclude, well, been 2,000 years, might be 2,000 more, probably not in my lifetime, probably nothing I need to worry about. And so we can grow complacent, not realizing that Jesus could come at any moment. Second, we need to hear Jesus' warning because it matters what we're doing and how he finds us when he comes. He's given us a charge. He's given us a responsibility. And he's expecting to find us faithfully carrying it out when he comes. Verse 36. And then third, we need to hear Jesus' warning because Jesus knows, Jesus realizes that we have this innate tendency to fall asleep spiritually. To, to get drowsy. To doze off. And therefore, to not be ready. You know, I've been very aware personally of the tendency to get spiritually drowsy. You know, you're, you're in a quiet room, right? You're in a warm room. You've had a good meal and you're kicked back on the couch or uh, the recliner or maybe on your bed. Or, or maybe you're sitting in class or you're sitting in church and the speaker's speaking and their voice is so soothing and you feel yourself getting drowsy and you start to drift off, right? You know that feeling? Well, that's how I've felt, uh, felt spiritually from time to time over this past year. And so I've been praying, God, help me to stay awake. And I've been asking myself, what is it? What's going on that's making me sleepy spiritually? What are the spiritual sedatives that are putting me to sleep? And, and here are some of the things I, I've come up with as I've been reflecting on this. So I invite you to think with me um, if you relate to any of this. So the first sedative, I think, is, uh, yeah, we're not ready for that yet. I'll, I'll cue you for the, we do have one slide. But the first sedative um, is schedules. We are so busy, and 
This past year has been particularly busy for me. Meetings, appointments, errands, kids' activities. There's so much to do. There's so little margin. There's so much stress. There's so much adrenaline. And and you know, it's ironic because physically speaking, all that rushing around in adrenaline is, is what keeps us awake, right? But spiritually speaking, it's just the opposite. Spiritually speaking, the faster we're going and the crazier the pace, the more we get drowsy and not off to sleep. If we could put that slide up now. I've seen Bill Hybels picture this with this inverse uh, relationship line graph that speed is inversely proportional to soul. The more the speed, the less the soul. The faster we're going the harder it is to maintain a good spiritual life. We're too busy to pray. We're too busy to pay attention to how we're doing spiritually. We're, we're uh, going too fast to notice or to hear those little nudgings of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit's giving us. We, we never take time to go outside on a starry night or to watch a sunset, to regain perspective, to remember just how small we are. And just how big and majestic God is. And just how big God's plans are. And so we lose perspective. And so spiritually, it's easy to nod off to sleep. All right, you can take the slide down. The the second spiritual sedative that that I find in my own life that makes me spiritually drowsy is screens. When I take the little free time that I do have and I fill it with checking the news and browsing the internet and watching sports or whatever it is for you, Facebook, your favorite app, binge watching your favorite Netflix series. It's amazing how the minutes and the hours quickly slip by, right? And here's the thing about screens and schedules. Sometimes we're we're so tired, we're so weary from our busy schedules that we don't have the energy to do anything but collapse in front of the TV or, or just lie on the couch and pull out our phones. And, and so it's so easy just to escape into the screen. And, and so schedules and screens become this mutually reinforcing cycle of exertion and then exhaustion and then exertion and then exhaustion, being too exhausted to, to really get refreshed or, or regain or maintain our perspective. And so instead of resting well and being refreshed and rejuvenated, we we just go back to exertion again and then to exhaustion again. And the whole cycle, if you're like me and you've experienced this, is just spiritually numbing. Spiritually speaking, it, it causes us to nod off. Third spiritual sedative I've noticed in my own life is affluence. Having all my needs taken care of and most of my wants too. Affluence is when we, we want something and, and we have the resources to just go get it. And, and if we're worried or we're anxious about something, well, we have the resources to provide that security. And, and so what do we really have to trust God for? We're, we're just comfortable, and in fact, we like being comfortable, and, and so we don't want anyone to rock the boat. We don't even want God to rock the boat. And so if God was trying to get our attention to call us out of our comfort zone, we might not want to listen. And so again, spiritually, we begin to nod off to sleep. And you know, it's not just our affluence, it's the affluence all around us as well, reinforcing that this is normal. 
And, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm a big one for, for generosity and for justice and for helping the poor and the needy because the Bible is clear from beginning to end that to follow God, to follow Christ, is to help the poor and to care about justice. And, and if that need was in my face, it, it might jolt me out of my sleepiness, sleepiness, but all around me in Westchester County here, there's, there's affluence. And I know there's financial needs somewhere out there, but it's so well hidden most of the time. I'm not confronted by the need. Everyone else seems to be doing pretty well, better than me, in fact. And, and it's like we're all in this comfortable bubble. And, and so it makes me sleepy, spiritually. And then a fourth sedative, politics, especially lately. The level of, of political discourse has gotten so loud and so passionate and so angry, so sure that we're right and they're wrong, whichever side we're on politically. It's, it's easy to fall into the, the conservative narrative, the conservative belief system, or the liberal narrative and the liberal belief system as if that's what matters most. And that's what's worth fighting for. And, and if that, it's that political uh, party solutions that are our true salvation. And that party's enemies are the true evil. And that party's categories are the right way that we should judge everything. And if we get caught up in that partisan passion and those partisan beliefs, here's what happens. We, we lose perspective about the way God sees things. About what God's solutions are about where God tells us to put our trust and what battles God is calling us to fight and how God is calling us to fight them. Because I don't hear either side politically saying, love your enemies or lay down your life in service or trust in Jesus or look for Christ's return. He'll fix everything when he comes. And so what I've been finding for myself is that when I get caught up in, in what the political sides are fighting about instead of what God's kingdom is ultimately about, I can very subtly fall asleep spiritually, forgetting about God and what's most important to God. And then fifthly, the last sedative in my experience is doubt and disappointment. Has God ever disappointed you? Maybe there was something that you really wanted and, and you were sure God was going to make it happen and, and it didn't happen. Or, or maybe something really bad happened and God didn't stop it. And, and you were hurt, you were disappointed, you, you felt betrayed and maybe you didn't want to talk to God for a while after that. You kind of distanced your heart. You, you kept God at arm's length and, or, or, may, or maybe it made you doubt whether, whether God really cares or, or whether God is really good and, or whether we're, we're just kind of all here on our own down here to fend for ourselves. Or maybe it's not disappointment with God that makes you doubt. Maybe it's all the doubts and all the disbelief around you. Everyone around living just like God doesn't matter. All the voices saying religion is irrelevant today. Believing that God stuff, that's just all wishful thinking. And even though you, you don't believe those messages are true, the, the constant bombardment that you feel from them, the fact that everyone else around you functions that way, maybe it wears on you after a while. It, it wears on me. And, and so sometimes I can start questioning or, or doubting rather than being full of faith and expectation about what God can do. And so God starts to feel far off and sort of irrelevant to my life, and pretty soon I'm getting drowsy spiritually speaking. 
Do you resonate with any of that, any of, any of those sedatives? And maybe for you, there's other sedatives, other things. Well, Jesus warns us to stay awake. Why does Jesus warn us of this? Because he knows of the tendency, he knows of the temptation to fall asleep. And he knows that, that his coming will be unexpected. Nobody knows when he will come. There's no big spiritual alarm clock that's going to go off to wake us up so that we can be prepared right before his coming. So he says, stay awake. Because it matters that you're awake. It matters that you're ready. It matters that you're prepared for when I come. In fact, five times Jesus urges us in this short little passage to stay awake. Listen, verse 33, be on guard. Be alert. Verse 34, keep watch. Verse 35, keep watch. Verse 37, watch. And then Jesus gives us a little parable, a little story to drive home to us why it matters so much that we stay awake. He says, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. Let's take a closer look at, at what Jesus is saying here in the story. Right off, notice that this story is about a large wealthy household. The owner of, of, of the, the house in this story has servants, probably cooks, farmhands, seamstresses maybe, other servants. And, and here Jesus is, is comparing himself to that owner of this household. He has lots of servants carrying on his work. But the servant that he compares us to, notice, is the doorkeeper, also known as the porter. This servant had a particularly important job in the household. And so in that culture, the doorkeeper was one of the most important servants because the doorkeeper was entrusted with the master's keys. And he had control of everything and everyone that went in or out of the master's premises. At night, he functioned as a night watchman, as a security guard. And in the evening, he'd lock and he'd bar the door. And if the master instructed him to, he was to be present and awake to open the door when the master returned. And Jesus counsels that if the master commands the doorkeeper to keep watch, then he had better stay awake and be alert because he does not know when the master will return. And it will not be good for him if the master returns to find him asleep on his watch. Now notice something else interesting about the way Jesus tells the story, and that is that Jesus assumes that the master may return at night. Maybe in the evening, maybe at midnight, maybe when the rooster crows, which is in the wee hours of the morning, if you've ever lived on a farm. It's annoying until you get used to it. Or maybe at dawn. Notice all these times are times when you'd normally be heading to bed or sleeping or just waking up. There are no daylight hours here. All these would be times when everyone else would be thinking about sleeping or sleeping. 
And guess what? On top of that, night is not the time when you'd expect your master to return. Think about it. These were the days before headlights and streetlights. And if you've ever been out in the country, when it gets dark, it's dark, right? (laughs) Very dark. And, And therefore, it's very difficult to travel. Also, the roads of the first century were infested with bandits and robbers. It was dangerous uh, to to be outside, out of the safety of a village at night. And so generally, when you traveled at that time, if you couldn't make it home by dark, you would find the closest village or inn, and you would get there to safety before dark. And, And so if the master isn't home by sundown, normally the doorkeeper wouldn't expect him until the next day. But Jesus says, be ready at night. And so Jesus suggests the master's return may happen when we least expect it. And that's why we're to stay awake. I once heard a story of of a teenager working his first job. It was at a bakery. And he recounts how one day the telephone rang and one of the ladies went to answer it. She put down the phone like it was hot and she yelled, he's coming. I wondered what in the world was going on. The ladies ran for their hairnets. The men ran for clean aprons and clean caps. The boss told me to sweep the floor and cover all the containers. There was a wild and excited look in his eyes. Everyone was running around like chickens with their heads cut off. I thought to myself, who's coming? Suddenly, through the front door, entered a man in a suit with a case under his arm. As I observed him, he began to walk around and check the bakery for health hazards. I then realized he was the state inspector for the Board of Health. After he left, everyone breathed a sigh of relief and went back to work. One of the ladies told me that all the places of business always watched out for each other. And the, one, the first one to see the inspector coming would then call the other businesses. Well, lucky for them. But unfortunately, the doorkeeper in Jesus' story will get no such warning. And neither will we. And so like the doorkeeper, we have to stay awake, we have to stay alert so that we're found at our post when the master comes. And so again, Jesus is warning us and urging us about three things here. First, Jesus' coming will be unexpected. Nobody knows when it will be. He may come, well, come at night, at a time when we don't anticipate it. Second, it matters how he finds us when he comes. We've been given a task, we've been given a responsibility, and it's very important that we don't go to sleep on the job. And third, though, it's easy to fall asleep. At nighttime especially, right? It's hard to stay awake. So Jesus urges us, again, five times, be on guard, be alert, keep watch, keep watch, watch. So let me tell you a little bit about how I've been trying to do this lately how I've been trying to wake myself up. First, I've been praying, and I've been saying to God, help! I I can feel myself getting very drowsy. Don't let me fall asleep. Wake me back up, God. I want to be alert. And God has been answering this prayer. God has uh, been putting some people in my life who are challenging me spiritually, who are helping me to wake up. Isn't God good? Don't you think that if you ask God to wake you up, that God would want to help answer that prayer? (laughs) That's what he's been doing for me. 
And then the second thing I've been doing is, is trying to beware of the sedatives, which makes me sleepy. Because it does no good to ask God to wake me up if I'm taking sleeping pills. Um, so I've been trying to be aware of my schedule and, and my time in front of screens and politics and affluence and disappointment and doubt, those things that I mentioned. Schedule-wise, I've been trying to be more faithful about carving out time for long walks in the woods, to pray, to be silent, and to listen. Also, time to sit down and read my Bible. Screen-wise, I've been trying to make a point to, to keep them turned off more often, to leave my phone on my dresser more. Politics-wise, I've been tuning out, taking breaks, because I don't want the, the narratives and the agendas that the, of the politicians and the media that they're feeding me to confuse me or distract me from what's really going on in this world, which is what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. And so those are some of the things that I've been doing to cooperate with God as he answers my prayer to wake me up. And so question, what do you need to do? What sedatives do you need to avoid? One last thought, though, before we close thinking about that. And that is that Jesus' whole message here about waking up begs the question of what does it mean to be awake, actually? What, what is it exactly that Jesus wants us to be doing when he comes? What does it mean to be alert? Jesus doesn't specifically answer that question in this passage. But guess what? The morning, or this morning, is the first in a four-week series on waking up. So we're going to look at this passage again next week, and then for the two weeks after that, we'll look at another passage about staying awake just a little further on in Mark chapter 14 while Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. So along the way, we'll see more of, of uh, what we're supposed to stay awake for and what we're to do, positively speaking, um, that, that means that we are alert and awake. But for now, let me close with another story. <clears throat> it's about a man who was visiting a certain elementary school to speak to the children there. And he gave them an entertaining, inspiring talk. And in the course of his presentation, he made a promise to the young students that he was going to come back again. And, and when he did, he would give a prize to the one whose desk he found in the best order. But he gave no hint of when that might be. And so the, the children were talking about it. They were excited. And a little girl named Mary, who was noted for her messy habits, announced that she meant to win that prize. Well, all the other classmates kind of giggled. Mary, your desk is always a mess. It's never been cleaned. Okay, well, she replied, well, starting right now, I'm going to clean it up Monday of every week. But what if he comes at the end of the week, Mary? Well, then I'll clean it every morning. But what if he comes in the afternoon? Well, this stumped poor Mary for a minute. But then her face brightened up and she said, I know what I'll do. I'll just keep it clean all the time. <laughs> and that's how Jesus is urging us to be. To be ready all the time for his coming. Awake, alert, ready to welcome him at his return. So question, what are the sedatives that make you drowsy? Are you willing to, to flush those sleeping pills down the toilet? In your bulletin is a handout. Sleeping pills. Pull it out. <laughs> not, not in the toilet. The plumbing, it'll do bad things. Leif will be upset at us all. 
But um, I encourage you to take a minute with this handout and ask yourself, how is God getting your attention this morning? And what is it that you need to do about it? Are there sedatives you need to stop taking so that you can stay alert? I want to give you a minute to think about that. If you can find a pen or a pencil in the seat in front of you, you can jot some things down. You didn't get any sleeping pills in your bulletin? Oh, yeah, they're on the floor. If you can't find it, they're on the floor. They slip out. We should have done them on a bright color. (laughs) All right, so take a minute just to reflect. What's God saying to you this morning? Are there any sleeping pills that are making you drowsy? You can jot them down on your piece of paper. Also, from this morning, is there anything else that God is asking you to do? Let me pray for us. God, when someone we love comes home and we're not ready, it can be a frightful, bad scene. But when we are ready, it's a wonderful reunion. And Jesus, we want to be ready because that's how we want to receive you when you come. Not caught unawares, not embarrassed, not caught asleep, but awake and ready. I pray that you would guide our hearts and show us, each of us, what we need to do to be prepared and ready for your coming. Amen.